welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Need a little bell. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. And for the next, if I ever do a conference with you again, I'm getting you a um, one of those game show fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That and a game school, or in a game show buzzer for Robert. <laughs> Don't have to hurt that voice there. Just <laughs> get the hook. The hook. Okay, this brings us to step ten. Pardon me. Well, we no, we brought brought a lot kind of for that upon ourselves. So. Step 10. Do you want to start this time in the 12 and 12 and then I'll finish it again? Or do you just keep it as we're going? Up to you. I don't care either way. Well, why don't you keep it in the 12 and 12 or the uh, big book because it came first. There you you go. There you go. So the... um, Discussion on the tenth step in the big book begins after the promises. I have to get to the right page here. On page 84, Bill gave us our nice prequel of reading with the promises. We all appreciate that. So, this thought after reading the promises brings us to step 10. Continue to take personal inventory of when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Which suggests, step 10 suggests, that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. And I love this sentence right here. Um, or anybody wants to say, well, I can't, I can't begin to do any work with 10, 11, and 12 until I'm completely done with amends. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So, uh, as uh, it's been my experience, as as I start to work on my amends, eh, I can begin to really work with these last three steps. Uh, we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And I like to pa- I like to pause right there. I have that underlined with. Understanding and effectiveness, and just what the what does that mean? Not to just blow by that sentence. Understanding uh, a fuller understanding. I think of uh, you know working on amends, understanding of of others, a fuller understanding of of myself as a child of God, and and, and in my effectiveness to 
to others and um, and and ultimately to God Himself. And uh, obviously, this is not an overnight matter. Have we've established it should continue for a lifetime. And um, right here it says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. These are the little directions. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So there's a pretty clear set of directions as a way of which we can begin to practice this step in our daily life. And, um, uh, and the last line, love and tolerance of others is our code, which here often in meetings is more fully explained in 12 and 12 which Robert will get into and um, uh, they kind of flush that out real nice in, in the discussion of the 10th step and the 12 and 12 um, and it says here um, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even lust for by this time sanity will have returned and I notice that there's an interesting correlation here in discussion of the 10th step that, okay, so we say, for by this time sanity will have returned. Where do we originally talk about sanity in the steps? Predominantly in our discussion of the second step. Um, so therefore, here, here we begin to see that, that the sanity doesn't return just right in the working of step two, but now as we've been talking about, it's in the working of the rest of the steps. Now, here in step ten it says, by this time sanity will have returned. Seldom be interested in lust, a foreign concept. Um, if we're tempted, recoil is from a hot flame. It's like a hot stove. Um, and, and, and this happens automatically given to us without any thought or effort on our, on our part. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe, and protected. Uh, this is how we react, so long as we keep in a fit spiritual condition. Um, that, that's that's uh, just, just like the promises. That's... Um, some pretty significant stuff for um, has been for me as as a sexaholic, as an addict. Um, you know, after I started doing my men's work and um, started to to practice um, the principles laid out here specifically in the tenth step. When I when I started to have experiences of recoiling from lust if tempted. Just as, just as, um, the same way I react. Like, let's say, if, uh, for instance, you know, been placed in a, in a position of neutrality. When I pass by a bar, uh, grace God now the days or what have you, it's, it's not. I, I notice that it's there, but as it says, I've, I'm really in a position now where I'm safe and protected. And in that sense, safe and protected in every sense of the word of. Uh, emotionally, mentally, my heart. I'm, I'm, yeah. Huh? Can I can ask a question. Yeah. Uh, um, well, 
I have a question about this sentence. We're not, we're not fighting it, neither, we're, neither are we avoiding temptation. And uh, with my uh, addiction to pornography, uh, I struggle a lot, a lot with that because, uh, I mean, I'm, in my job right now, I have access to the computer, I have access to the internet. I need to be on the internet. I mean, not all day long, but you know, once in a while, every, you know, several times a week, I need to get online. And I had a, I had some uh, kind of blocking software installed in my computer, kind of self, uh, you know, using kind of full power approach to it. That didn't work very well. I mean, how do I deal with that? Do I like quit my job, find another job where I don't have to? A computer. I mean, I, I do things like I leave my computer at home. I don't take it home with me, so like at home I don't have access to the computer. But still, I cannot um, completely avoid it unless I completely change. I mean, do some drastic changes in my life, like you know, changing my job. And a lot of people say, you know, avoid it at all costs, or use like uh, blocking software, tracking software, you know. Things like that, and other people say, "Oh, it's all just no power, and you know, you know, it's not going to work." And, like, how do I tell you? Um, my experience has been, uh, if I'm working the steps diligently, I'm okay. Um, I got a laptop in my apartment, and. Uh, I go on it um, every day to check email and uh, haven't looked at porn in years. That's by the grace of God and nothing less than that. Um, without without the grace of God and without really getting in there and, and, and working working all the steps all the way through, that's not that's not me. I, I would be all over it looking at it. So. I don't know the particulars of a situation like that. I mean, if I was working with you as a sponsee, I would uh, talk to you about it in more detail and would have to consider the details of your situation um, and what have you. Um, um, but, uh, you know, as far as just the general advice, it's just if you're starting working the steps right now, just do that and continue to take the the actions that are being suggested to you by your sponsor, and um, I, I think that's that's the way to go with that type of thing. Um, is the answer to go move to uh, you know some forbidden island somewhere? I don't think so. Um, so I hope that uh, if I may, and I'm just going to put this out there and, uh, and you can read it later at your leisure but the uh, literature talks about that on page 100 the uh, last paragraph yeah, that's on 100 and it goes over and basically it says that uh, uh, we meet these conditions every day a sexaholic who cannot meet them still has a sexaholic mind and there's something the matter with his spiritual status okay. 100 and 101 and uh, and you might just peruse that at your leisure it's a little bit ahead of where we are right now but it has to do with you know having a fit spiritual condition and the situation that you described uh, 
get a sponsor, work the steps as soon as you as soon as you can, and uh, in the meantime, I would take uh, the protective measures that you are and, uh, and talk to your sponsor about how you might be able to ratchet that up or a point or two, but it will pass in due time if you have a sober attitude. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see here. Um, so, so here I noticed um, we noticed that there's this connection to the second step there at the bottom of page 84. For the, by this time, sanity will have returned. Um, to to me, then then um, over on page 85, second uh, full paragraph, um, where it says here it's easy to let up on. Uh, the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for lust is a subtle foe. I'm sure we could all agree upon that. Um, by God, it is. Uh, we are not cured of sexualism. And boom, right there, that sentence, that, that keeps me, that reminds me of my first step, that keeps me connect. that's a first step connection for me right there. Um, what we really have is a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of, of our spiritual condition. Um, that spiritual condition being established in the working of the steps up to this point. Nothing less than that. And what's the daily reprieve on is, is, is beginning to, to surrender every day to this process. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. Um, we can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish it is the proper use of the will. So then there's, there's um, a third step connection there again for me, I see. Um, so I think that that's an interesting uh, connection there to the first, first three steps here. Uh, just bringing it back all full circle here. And um, bottom paragraph is, uh, we've begun to sense the flow of His Spirit into us, and to some extent we've become God-conscious. Um, even that being said, it says we must go further, and that means more action. So therefore, there's, there's even more to come. Um, and, and, of course, I want to keep this at my own experience with, with the tenth step, and um, I know Robert's going to hit on hit on some of these, but just to relate some of my own with uh, the tenth step, it, it, it's more fully highlighted in the twelve and twelve, but it is working towards an emotional balance, which I have no idea how to attain, um, which is brought about by self-examination and then. Prayer, and one of the main goals of the tenth step is to work towards self-restraint. All these things, my gosh, I remember first coming up against this stuff, and was like, well, my God, how do I self-restraint? I know nothing of self-restraint. I know a lot about. I could tell you how to be self-indulgent in every sense of the word, and. Uh, don't know a damn thing about moderation, any of that stuff. Balance, forget about it. That means nothing to me. Um, and so, 
again, working with, with a sponsor, one of the things that have been really useful to me as an eighth and ninth step that I've used recently, the flashcards. I've used flashcards, and I've used them for a while, ten step. What I would do, so what are the three areas I'm looking over myself through the day? You've got three types, a spot check, inventory, a days in inventory, and then one with the sponsor periodically. But, you know, so for the spot check inventory through the day, looking for watching over myself for selfishness, dishonesty, um, resentment, and fear. And a, uh, a thing that I did, because I would just bounce through my day and just kind of be running, running around and indulging in this, indulging in that, right? And, uh, and then I'd, I'd come to talk to a sponsor at night or what have you, and I'd just be all over the place and um, justifying, lying, minimizing, or whatever. And so, you know, so I got in the habit, I'd carry a flashcard around, and I think I used to carry one of the bigger ones, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and it may be right at the top, those four walks were selfish, dishonest, resentful, or afraid. And if anything came up from the day, just just jot it down. Resentful at Peggy Sue. Resentful at uh, Professor Ribbon. You know, uh, uh, took five looks at so and so or whatever. And and then at the end of the night, can um, was able to you know help me. It helped me toe the line. And what it what it helped me really begin to do is to begin to notice myself and. Uh, Help me to uh, begin to become more awake and present um, and aware of myself, um, and and that was also aided in obviously the working of the steps up to this point. But um, just like I was talking about, how you know it says here, you know when we notice, watch for selfish dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When when these crop up, we ask God to remove them at once. Um, it's kind of along the lines of what I was talking about with 6 and 7 but to notice this practice of using the card watching myself and then I notice oh that was a lie I was dishonest and then, and then I identify it say okay that, that was what it, that was a lie that was not true God please forgive me for that please remove that from me I go in and, and I, I say my prayers for a bit and then um, if it's something that requires talking about it with a sponsor first, uh, do that. But, but, but then I would just say, if I notice it right away, to say, hey, you know what? If it's, let's say, ten minutes later, this is, this is what I started to do. I would go back and say, that was not true. I, uh, um, I really ate five cookies when he asked me if I only had one or whatever. You know. And... Um, that that practice of just beginning to make prompt amends when appropriate uh, really started to help me and oh my gosh changed me in a lot of ways because that um, practice really started to get me in touch with uh, well well with reality more and just in the present moment in life and 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 this step really also speaks to me of the question we had earlier life on life's terms and. Just being a human being, dealing with other spiritual beings, as he says, and, 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 and if I've noticed that I've done something wrong and it's just a, a 
fairly minor thing that can be dealt with just immediately. I recognize it between me and God and say, I, I apologize for that lie. That, you know, that, that wasn't true. And um, that, that, that was an action that I could start to take in the direction of the suggestion that I was getting so much at the beginning of recovery with people telling me, just tell the truth, Adam. Just get honest. Get honest, Adam. Tell the truth. Because so I was always bullshitting everybody. And, and they were tired of it. And I sure didn't know what the hell to do about it. And, and I guess I was in treatment for 14 months, over a year. And I finally just started to experiment with this, trying to tell the truth a bit more, which, of course, I had to first notice when I was not being truthful and, and, and then ask God to remove it from me and then go tell the person what happened. And then, um, and the same thing goes for these other defects. And then and for fear, uh, one of the biggest uh, test for me to see if 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 I'm running uh, some part of my life on self will is if I'm afraid. This weekend, I've started to get afraid about the amount of work that I have to do when I get back. <laughs> That's the truth. Now, why do I get afraid about that? Because for that moment in time. I'm trying to think of how I'm going to control it in and of myself. When I know, then I take, take a moment back and then I ask God, okay, that's what is known as fear. That is not I. Please remove that from me. God, you know, direct my attention towards what you want me to be. You want me to be surrendered to you, to be faithful and trusting in you, to be a hard worker, to be focused on my work. That's all I can do. And... Hell, I, I graduated college. I'm in grad school, and my work gets done. You know, you know, it always my work always will get done. But but it, it never fails. That at some point, um, uh, if I it, you know if I start to get afraid about something, if I can if I can practice that a little, little exercise in relation to fear, very helpful. Um, um, I have the right not to be negative. That's another thing that I've that I've learned in working with the 10th step. I have the right not to be negative. That's a wonderful thing to know today. Um, and, and, and the other thing that I've, that I've worked with a lot is, uh, is the spiritual axiom that I'm sure will be discussed in a moment by my friend Robert. Uh, when we're disturbed, something is wrong with me. Now what that's done, what that principle has done for me, boo, I have, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> no, I, I hate it also. I mean, it, shit, that, that, what that tells me then is, alright, Adam, you're, I gotta take full responsibility for my life and my recovery. Full responsibility. Because if something's wrong with me or what have you, no matter what the other person's done, I got to deal with my own stuff because they're going to go to sleep at night, probably not even thinking about me in the way that I got pissed at them. They could probably give a crap. And so, it. it Excuse me, what you just said. Say it. What? I'm teetering on to ask you to let it right into it. How do you handle 
When you do this 10th step, you recognize, okay, I said something around about 20 minutes ago that I'm feeling mighty big condescending. Oh. I'm going to tell Robert I apologize. I'm making amends, and Robert goes, huh? What are you talking about? I've had that happen. I, in turn, get the feeling of life. No, you're supposed to react differently. You're not supposed to say whatever. You just said it. They go to bed not thinking it, and you're laying home for Robert, I know you had to get pissed at me, and I can't sleep. And Robert's sleeping like a baby. How have you had that happen in my way? I'm not talking to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> not me, it is him. Robert. Has you had that happen? Um, and if you have, is that me going into, I can't, you can't answer that to me. Would that be seen as going in with unforeseen expectations? That you recognize you did something wrong and they didn't think twice about it. Well, I, I think the only thing that matters is if you feel you've done something wrong, then if you apologize and that that's that, whatever their reaction is, then so be it. I don't, uh, yeah, I guess I've had some maybe odd reactions from time to time, but usually I go to my dad. I've had it with my dad. I say, you know, that uh, last night we were talking and... Um, you know, that wasn't really honest, whatever. We'll say, well, that's all right, son, I understand. I, I, so usually people have been, have you had this experience? Yeah. Or are you thinking hypothetically? No, I, oh. but I just said, I, had, I said something the other night and I work, and I, after I said it, I'm thinking, that sounded kind of condescending. Like I was going one up, like I was saying, are you stupid or something, without using the words, are you stupid? So I went to him and I said, what I said earlier, you might have, I think I was condescending with, I don't even know what you said. And I guess I had an unforeseen, I had expectations of him giving me the, it's okay, don't worry about it, I didn't think he came about it. And he went, what do you even say? I was like, well, so, uh, I made mean, resentful towards him. I wanted him to show some emotion, I guess. Yeah. Right. I wanted him to show that he took what I said in some way. Well, he obviously just didn't notice. And so, is that a good or bad or indifferent thing? Indifferent, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I, and if you're really trying to work with these spiritual principles, I, I don't know if he is. And I guess that's what I'm not like. All right, God, I'm trying to work the program. He is not. He ain't playing the game. Say right. something, He's not helping me out. Uh, I suffer from the same thing occasionally, and the question I ask myself is, you know, kind of like, what is, what's the object of the exercise here? Why am I making the amend to who? Is it to benefit me or benefit him? And maybe a little of both. And if if I did come across as, using your example, condescending, I apologize and I'll make every effort in the future never to do that again. Okay, that takes care of his side of the street. And my side of the street is later... You know, in the evening, uh, when in my quiet time, and I'm doing my daily inventory, I'm thinking, okay, what did I say 
And why did it come across as condescending? Was I trying to act superior? Was it impulsive? Did I, you know, a closed mouth gathers no feet? Uh, you know, what what were the elements here? Where I where was I trying to act superior? Was I trying to was my ego trying to get noticed? Did I interrupt this person? You know, was it uh, rude? And try to and we'll get into this in a couple of minutes try to visualize with God's help how we can do it different in the future so that we can have a different outcome and there will be a next time there is always a next time <laughs> did I answer your question? You I attempted <laughs> but do you, now I was this, this part is, it kind of ties into 10 and 11 you want to wait till tomorrow to do this I could do it. Yeah, now. I think so. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, th- there was. Oh, go ahead. I was going to comment. You know, if you're just a garden variety sexaholic, we get upset if people notice us. We're even more upset if they don't. Uh, we're worried that they're talking about us, but when we find out they're not, we're really disappointed. <laughs> and, 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 and that, you know, and, and, and yet, at some point, we'll just work these steps. We will be with a store to stand. And, uh, I, I, I agree you know, that I need to do the right thing regardless of whether anybody notices because I notice and it really affects whether or not I go to bed at night homicidal or ready to go to sleep. Yeah, I've, I've, okay, let's see, I have, with Claire, I've definitely made some apologies and have not gotten the reaction that I want to. Why did I not think that? I've, well, well, thanks for the apology, you asshole, or, you know, whatever. You know, so she, maybe she's just venting in her own way, and I, I, have no, I can't do anything about her, her reaction to something like that. I, I will try to sit, when I do my review at night, as Robert said, to look at my part, my inventory, and then if an apology is needed, then, then I'll make it, and then we'll, just as we discussed in step eight and nine, whatever the reaction of the other party is, 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 is their business. And my business is uh, cleaning up my side of the street. The rest is, is theirs and God's. And, um, so, uh, well, one last thing, and then I'll give it on to Robert for the 12 and 12. Well, so, you know, when I'm disturbed or something wrong with me, Asking me to take full responsibility for my life and my recovery, and and that also, that really says that uh, my my being my being attracts my life. And remember, Matt telling me that a lot, you know, saying your being attracts your life. Adam, he's all philosophical and smart sounding, like, whatever. But, just trying to get on my nerves with some smart sounding statement and um, and the more I've thought about that as time has gone on I've, I've found that to be true and that um, and as my life improves and my state of consciousness improves through the working of the steps my being attracts my life when I was really kind of in, in the my life was in the, the toilet I I was surrounded by drug addicts and people doing crazy stuff with sex, and this is what my life was surrounded by. And 
And uh, look what my life is surrounded by now. <laughs> like I said, sober individuals, people trying to sober, trying to get sober and get get aligned with God. And um, uh, I, it just kind of so happens that I don't have any. I don't. All of my friends and acquaintances, and all really even the events in my life, usually are positive nature. Uh, as a result of trying to align myself with this with this deal every day, and um, it's, that's a pretty cool deal. Kind of know that, yeah, my life is it's it's my you know my life, my happiness and recovery is my responsibility. It's a pretty big responsibility. That means I can't blame everyone else anymore for my problems or unhappiness. But at the same time, that means that man, if I really sing myself up with God and uh, and the steps, then. The world is mine, man. You know, and and I do think that that when aligning my will in the right way, I got a lot of potential and opportunity to do a lot in life. You know, so uh, there you go. Yeah. Just say a quick yes. When I go to make a the men, you know, you know, advised to do this thing, make my eighth and ninth steps amends, and I still do it today, and I make a tenth step amends. But before I do it, I ask God to give me humility and, you know, surrender my expectations of how the other person's going to react. Because I have the exact same problem on several people who did react like I wanted them to when I made my ninth step amends, which was almost exactly what, what John was sharing. I wanted them to do something other than be like, like one of my sisters, you know, I made amends, and you know, I was. I was very mean to you, very harsh. I yelled at you, you know. I was really abusive, you know. She, and she said, I thought you were a good brother. No, no, you're supposed to be really hurt, you know, or whatever, whatever the script was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so now I ask, you know, I surrender my expectations, please bring me humility, you know, to accept whatever the response is. Because I've been the same thing, I mean, what? But, uh, and also, I didn't know how to make the 10 cent amendment until I sat the 10 step. I didn't know how to do it. You know, I would rationalize and I'd point the finger down a little bit. And, you know, you said this, and that really, you know, I was really mad about that. So I said, you know, uh, I just didn't know how to do it yet. So, Thanks, John. Thanks. We had uh, another question behind me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's uh, that word promptly and. Yeah, that's a that's a good word. That, that you know, that's key because I had a situation where um, I uh, was talking to a coworker and um, and I I said something I shouldn't have, and then that immediately I recognized it immediately. I felt bad, but I went on with the conversation, and, uh, and then. Uh, it bugged me the rest of that day, and it probably happened in the morning sometime. It bugged me the rest of that day. I was miserable the rest of that day. Thought about it all the time. Went to bed that night, and it was just I didn't probably get you know much sleep that night. And finally realizing that I needed to make the amends the next day because I couldn't call her up on the phone at midnight. And, and so, <laughs> and I was unless. <laughs> Uh, and then so the next day, uh, and she was late to work, doggone it, so I had to suffer some more. <laughs> and, uh, 
I finally got uh, over to her desk when I started coming in. And it was like a magnet there. She was at work. I was right up there. And, uh, and I said, you know, this thing happened yesterday. It's been on my mind, and I wanted to apologize. I was wrong for doing that. And, uh, and she looked at me like I had grown another head and, and said, you were still thinking about that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is who I am. Yeah. And, boy, that worked promptly. I, I, I try to work that into that step of the now. <laughs> that was a miserable 24 hours. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I think uh, just that what uh, he was saying, Dalton was saying, I think a lot of times the response he gets to people is, uh, is exactly the opposite of what was happening. He was saying that the guy said, oh, you know, I, didn't care or something, or didn't think. But you know, come on. Re- the reality is, probably he really did care and did think about it. But his response to him, so that he doesn't, his ego or pride is going to be well. You know, you're thinking about it. I'm not because I've done it a thousand times, and this woman's probably, you know, same thing. And she was probably thinking about it, and yes, it probably hurt her. But when he said that, you know, she had to, she wanted the higher road, and I, you know, I do that all the time in this addiction. You know, when I feel hurt. And somebody comes to me and says something, oh, really? You think that was bothering me? Yeah. Yeah, it's just been so common for me in that. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, thank that. You. Yeah. So we continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Right. And, uh, and we learned to take personal, just kind of to place 10 in the context. You know, we learn to take personal inventory in step four. So, as soon as I begin step ten, I'm back in four. You know, we're in the inventorying process where we learn to do that. At any rate, if you're following along in the twelve and twelve, the second paragraph. Uh, a continuous look at our assets and liabilities and a real desire to learn and grow by this means are necessities for us. We sexaholics have learned this the hard way. More experienced people, of course, in all times and places have practiced unsparing self-survey and criticism. For the wise have always known that no man can make much of his life until self-searching becomes a regular habit, until he is able to admit and accept what he finds, until he patiently and persistently tries to correct what is wrong. wrong. As Plato said, uh, lo these many years ago, the unexamined life is not worth living. When a sex drunk has a terrific hangover because he acted out, relapsed heavily yesterday, he cannot live well today. But there's another kind of hangover which we all experience whether we are acting out or not. That is the emotional hangover, the direct result of yesterday's and sometimes today's excesses, negative emotion, anger, fear, jealousy, and the like. It's my experience, and I could be wrong on this, but relapse is always preceded by spiritual blackout that is the result of emotional binging. I'll say that again. Relapse is always preceded by a spiritual blackout that is the result of emotional binging. You can try that on for size and see if it works with your reality, but it seems to be mine. 
If we would leave, live serenely today and tomorrow, we certainly need to eliminate these hangovers. This doesn't mean we need to wander morbidly around the past. It requires an admission and correction of errors now. Our inventory enables us to settle with the past. When this is done, we are really able to leave it behind us. When our inventory is carefully taken and we have made peace with ourselves, the conviction follows that tomorrow's challenges can be met as they come. Then it tells us about the different kinds of inventories. Although all inventories are alike in principle, the time factor does distinguish one from another. There's the spot check inventory taken at any time of the day whenever we find ourselves getting tangled up. There's the one we take at day's end when we review the happening of the hours just past. Here we cast up a balance sheet, crediting ourselves with things well done and chalking up debits where due. Then there are those occasions when alone or in the company of our sponsor or spiritual advisor, we make a careful review of our progress since the last time. Many essays go in for annual or semi-annual house cleanings. Many of us like the experience of an occasional retreat from the outside world where we can quiet down for an undisturbed day or so of self-overhaul and meditation. Aren't these practices joy killers as well as time consumers? Must essays spend most of their waking hours drearily rehashing their sins of omission or commission? Well, hardly. The emphasis on inventory is heavy only because a great many of us never really acquired the habit of accurate self-appraisal. Once this healthy practice becomes has become grooved, it will become so interesting and profitable that the time that it takes won't be missed. For these minutes and sometimes hours spent in self-examination are bound to make the other hours of our day better and happier. And at length, our inventories become a regular part of everyday living rather than something unusual or set apart. It goes on and the sentence we all hate. It is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with me. Translate. If I ain't the problem, there is no solution. If I'm not the problem, there's no solution. If somebody hurts us and we're sore, we are in the wrong also. But are there no exceptions to this rule? What about justifiable anger? If somebody cheats us, aren't we entitled to be mad? Can't we be properly angry with self-righteous folks? For us as an essay, these are dangerous exceptions. We have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to hang, handle it. Anger has plagued me for so much of my life, and especially in my recovery life, that even though my behaviors have changed, my anger was still there for so many years. And it's like, my anger is still there, although it's a little bit different. It's a lot better. But I think part of that reason is, you know, I think that God enables you. If you're a human being on the planet, we get to experience anger. Every human being gets to feel angry. And... What's God's intended purpose for anger? What's, you know, why would God have people feel, feel angry? 
Pardon me? Well, you know, I I think there's a lot of merit in that. Self preservation is a good one, I think. Uh, it, I could be wrong, but I look at it like God pounding on my hood trying to get my attention. Hey, you need to pay attention. Something's going on here. Something really important is going on. You're angry. Of course, I was always angry. But I mean, nowadays it's like when I feel angry, you know, why am I angry? And I think that God wants me to take some kind of action. And my problem has been in the past that it's always been inappropriate action. You know, I'm angry, get the chainsaw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and today, I want to express appropriately that anger, whatever that is. And, uh, and I've come a long way in that regard, and that's my desire. I haven't always figured it out, and, you know, we have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. I think that, especially in early recovery, that's absolutely critical. And then for those of us that have been around for a while, it's like, you know, let's get out of the anger. That As soon as we're in the, the personal inventory, it's like, okay, I'm angry. Where do I want to be? You know, ultimately, I want peace. That's where I want to be. I want to get to peace. So how do I get there? So I'm in step four. I'm pissed. You know, oh, who am I pissed at? Column one, column two. What is it that happened that caused me to be pissed at this person or car or IRS or whoever it is? And third, it affects my sex, property, and prestige, uh, sex, social security, and social instinct uh, or security. And what was my part in it? What did I do to invite these people to treat me like this or to send them signals that it was okay to treat me like that? Okay, so now I'm in you know, the process of dealing with it. And then it's admitted to God, to myself and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. In this case, you know, another human being if necessary. Sometimes it's not even necessary. I know what's going on. Uh, six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. What's the defect? Mm, you know, maybe it's uh, self-centeredness, maybe it's uh, uh, people-pleasing, whatever it is. And seven, humbly ask, oh, one of the prayers. I get to say that seven-step prayer like I mean it. And now it's eight, become willing to make amends to those that I have harmed, who have I harmed. Maybe nobody, maybe I'm the one that got harmed. You know, maybe I'm the one that, you know, really has suffered from my actions the most. And it's because, you know, in the, in the situation as you described, John, maybe the other guy is totally oblivious to the harm, but I know what I did. I was trying to act grandiose. I wanted to look like I was superior and I put that guy down in front of other people. And it may have seemed condescending. And it was my own desire to feel superior, to be better than, for, better than for recognition, ego, whatever it is. And uh, so, how am I going to make that amend? How, am I, how do I make that amend to me? Well, don't do it. Stop doing it. You know, don't run my mouth like that. Another good example for me is 
uh, food and exercise. Uh, used to be a glut, you know. Um, ate way too much. A bunch of stuff that I didn't need to be eating. Well, okay. Uh, I'm doing my personal inventory every night. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I really, you know, I don't like myself for, you know, pegging out at the table tonight. And how can I do it different? You know, and I look at going back into my inventory process. And, you know, where is my defect? And am I ready to have God remove this defect of character? And humbly ask, and how do I make amends to myself? Well, good news, Robert. You're going to be at the table again tomorrow morning. <laughs> you know, and let's do it different. Let's try to imagine how we can use a different outcome. Uh, you know, maybe I need some additional help uh, with this outside of my program. You know, maybe I need another program. And uh, and I go to Weight Watchers, you know, and I have been a lifetime member and, uh, for a long time. And today I eat for nourishment as opposed to eating for taste, you know, and it's for me, you know, it's a way of safeguarding this body temple that my Creator has given me, and I think it's in my best interest to try and treat it with the dignity and respect that he would have me treat it and therefore I try not to abuse it with food and, and I don't always succeed but you know I'm better at it than I've been in years I can say the same thing with exercise you know that I never used to exercise and I feel better about myself I'm not saying anybody else should exercise for me you know I look at how I feel I look at you know, what they're charging me for health care, and I don't like paying all that money, and it's like, okay, let me think. If my body mass index is where it's supposed to be, if my uh, resting heart rate is 62, if, uh, uh, you know, my uh, blood pressure is where it's supposed to be, my blood panel comes back and the triglycerides and all are where it's supposed to be, you know, all of these things indicate wellness are indicators of wellness and am I doing these things that I know that I should be doing to maintain the body that I've been entrusted with this is for me and in when I started running and I happened to run because it's like I don't know how long I'm gonna live but I want to be healthy as long as I live you know when I started running I was 40 something years old and I made it between two telephone poles that was how far I could run. And some years later, you know, I started running marathons. But it's been, you know, just a gradual, you know, constant trying to practice my program on a daily basis. And this is where I've ended up. Uh, talks about resentments. Few people have been more victimized by resentments than have we sexaholics. It mattered little whether our resentments were justified or not. A burst of temper could spoil a day, and a wellness grudge could make us miserably ineffective. Nor were we ever skillful in separating justified from unjustified anger. As we saw, our wrath was always justified. Anger, the, that occasional luxury of more balanced people, could keep us on an emotional jag indefinitely. These emotional dry benders 
often led straight to relapse. Other kinds of disturbances, jealousy, envy, self-pity, and hurt pride did the same thing. So a spot check inventory taken in the midst of such disturbances can be a very great help in quieting the stormy emotions. Drop down to the next paragraph and it says, in all these situations we need self-restraint. Honest analysis of what is involved, a willingness to admit when the fault is ours, and an equal willingness to forgive when the fault is elsewhere. Another paragraph. Next one. Our first objective will be the development of self-restraint. This carries a top priority rating. And another sentence, a couple more down, is one of those that I hate. Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen. Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen. And Pardon me? And mouse click. Yes, or mouse click. And, uh, and it's practice. You know, when I do my daily inventory at the end of the day, you know, and I, over the years, you know, it's, a lot of the same issues are very resistant to change. And, you know, I envision with God's help, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, this is how I'm going to do it the next time. And the next time I'm in that situation, I'm in it, you know, more than halfway, and I think, damn, this is bad. It's the same situation. And I'm acting the same way. And it's like, okay, end of the day. Okay, next time, you know, I'm going to do it different. And, but, you know, it's this religious, just persistent application of the step on a daily basis is that over time, it's like, you know, I get to that situation, and it's finally like, whoa. I recognize that bus nine times out of ten before it crushes me now. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to do it that way. And gradually, you know, it's like, oh, I recognize this. Oh, I recognize anger. I recognize self-pity. I recognize uh, gossip. You know, I'm not trying to help that person. I'm trying to assassinate their character, you know. And, uh, and in the South, it's easy to do because you can badmouth anything and say, bless their heart. I'm John. I've heard you mention anger. You just want to give it a time. Can the result do that? That's not what I'm going to say. Can any of these emotions, anger being one of them, represent a need that we have? And thus, if we do not approach that need or figure out that need that's where I'm going, can go full circle. I think you're getting it, John. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I in my recovery and in other therapy, anger is not justified, but it is an emotion that I think in the South, growing up, was suppressed. No, you're not supposed to get angry. You're not allowed to have that feeling. But yet, I've had to change the thought that I can, as my higher power did get angry in his lifetime, and he showed emotion for a purpose. I'm not saying I should get angry for a purpose to point out something, but there's something that I figured out by getting angry 
I'm lacking something. I'm either hungry, angry, lonely, or tired of the hall man. I've been eight week old son. <laughs> and if those of you who are parents have dealt with that, sleep deprivation is very common right now. Thus, if the need for sleep, if I don't get it by my elevation of being angry at my wife or my other son and other people, in years past I wouldn't recognize that. I got angry and said, well, it's your fault. Or, it's his. He won't stop crying. I've been dealing with this for four hours and I'm angry and I'm, I have a right to be angry. Now, I would change the attitude and say, okay, he's angry, so, you know, I still get angry, but making the amends, I can step back and say, okay, to my wife, if I didn't get angry at her, I know it wasn't you, I just had to suck in three days. And, but I feel that getting angry sometimes can be God saying, hey, you're lacking something. Look at your life. You are in need of something. Now, take care of it. That's what I'm saying when I'm God banging on my hood. You know, it's like there's something going on. I need to pay attention. Uh, next couple of maybe uh, paragraphs down says, now that we're in SA and sober, winning back the esteem of our friends and business associates, we find that we still need to exercise special vigilance. As an insurance against big shotism, we can often check ourselves by remembering that we are sober today only by the grace of God and that any success we may be having is far more His success than ours. Finally, we begin to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill as well as frequently wrong. And then we approach true tolerance and see what real love for our fellows actually means. And now we get to Bernie and the chicken bomb. I know you've all been waiting for that. <laughs> Me for two days. You mentioned it Friday. Bernie and the chicken bone. Bernie is a long-haired dachshund. And belong, he's, belong, he's dead now. Uh, to a sponsee of mine. And I was working the steps with actually four guys at the same time. It turned out that my preference initially was to work one on one but it got to the point where you know it's like I was working through the steps and a step a week that's like 12 weeks and you know another guy was lined up and he said you know I'd like you to sponsor him so I said okay you know when I get done with this guy you know you can start and so okay now we're, we've got two and, and then I had another guy you know want to work the steps and I said well you know when I get done wait a minute you know, three months, six months. I can't stack you out nine months to work this step. I mean, delay is perilous. So, and then there were more guys, and it turned out that there were four guys that wanted to work the steps. And you know, it's like, well, I don't know how this is going to work, God, but you know, let's give it a shot. Why don't we work? It's his program. I mean, I've worked this steps with so many guys so many different ways and it's always worked well I mean this program is just an absolute miracle and uh, and so I'm working with these four guys and uh, and after the fifth step 
it's like they said, why do we have to meet at Robert's house all the time? You know, why can't we come to my house? It's like, we can go to your house. And, uh, and I think it's a good idea because when we go over to other people's houses, then we get a much better sense of who they are, especially when we're talking to them on the phone or something. It's like, you know, I can see that person. I see, I get a better sense of who they are. So we started, you know, rotating around. When I meet with guys, you know, when we go through these questions and answers on sponsorship, we meet as equals. You know, I ain't better than you. You ain't better than me. We're just two people trying to stay sober. You know, you're helping me stay sober. Honest to God. And I learn from every man that I've ever worked with. And uh, So anyway, we're working the steps. And two of these guys happen to be chefs. I mean, like, good chefs. Uh, CIA train and for those of you that aren't in on culinary it's Culinary Institute of America I mean like good chefs and, uh, and so we're going to go over to Chef Jeff's place and, uh, and Chef Jeff says well you know I'll fix you dinner no you're not going to fix this dinner this isn't going to turn into a, you know an Iron Chef contest you know about who, who can fix put the best spread out because I'm going to lose big time and I don't want to look bad. <laughs> you know, uh, no, we're not going to do it. You know, this isn't going to be about you know, you know, throwing and putting on the dog for a bunch of guys that you get to feel good. And he goes, well, look, that's not what I meant. You know, and I understand how that could be perceived. And uh, how about if I do a a salad? Okay, you can do a salad. Uh, Caesar salad. Chicken Caesar salad. Okay, you can do a chicken Caesar salad. <laughs> so we go over to uh, Jeff's house, and, uh, and we're actually working the uh, tenth step. And, uh, and the other chef uh, brought his dog with him, and uh, Bernie. And Bernie was this long-haired dog, nice dog, really smart, was good company, behaved himself mostly, and uh, and. So we're sitting in the living room and we're reading through the literature and we hear this crash, bang in the kitchen. And uh, the guy that owned the house jumped up and the guy that owned the dog jumped up and started for the kitchen and then everybody else thought, let's go see what's happening. <laughs> and so we followed him into the kitchen and, and uh, Bernie had knocked over the trash can and had ripped open the garbage can that had the chicken bones in it and was busily looking for chicken bones. And uh, Will ran over and scooped him up, you know. And now, I got to tell you that I'm kind of looking at stuff now because I'm waiting for Bernie to get the shit kicked out of him, you know. And, uh, and I'm waiting for Chef Jeff, the guy that owns the house, to, you know, really come unglued here. And I'm kind of looking at stuff and seeing how this is going to play out. And. Uh, the guy that owns the dog he picks up Bernie and he goes Bernie we've had this discussion before chicken bones kill dogs you can't have chicken bones and because you don't know how to act polite in company you have to go to the car and you'll wait there until we get done and off he went and I thought oh <laughs> and Chef Jeff 
whose house it is. I mean, he just gets another trash bag and he puts everything back in the trash and back in the trash can. We all end up back in the living room. And I'm thinking, you know, dogs love chicken bones. But they can eat raw chicken bones because raw chicken bones are kind of elastic and plastic and stuff and they'll just pass through. But cooked chicken bones get real brittle and they snap and create splinters and then they tear up their digestive system and they die. So even though dogs absolutely love chicken bones, it will kill them. And, you know, you don't want to get between Bernie and the chicken bone. And finally, we see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill as well as frequently wrong. And Bernie's going for the chicken bone. And he thinks the chicken bone is the answer. And we know that the chicken bone, self-interest, selfishness, greed, jealousy, envy, hatred, resentment, are not going to get us what we're looking for. And other people act out of these character defects frequently, regularly, and they mistreat people around them. Don't get between Bernie and the chicken bone. You know, people are jerks, and they will clamor, cheat, steal, threaten, uh, go violent to get what they want, sex, property, and prestige, right? I mean, they're no different than us. So why should I get pissed off when, you know, somebody, you know, mistreats me when, I mean, it doesn't have to be personal. They treat everybody like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the 10th step is when we were wrong, promptly admitted, but I don't got to go to every fight I've been invited to. You know, it's like, if I see Bernie going for the chicken bone, you know, it's not my it's not my job to protect Bernie from the chicken bone. It ain't my Bernie. And if it's possible, I'd like to point out to Bernie that those are chicken bones. <laughs> Sometimes that's not appropriate. Sometimes you just gotta let Bernie, you know, have his chicken bones. They ain't killed him yet, so you know. But if it's like sponsees or other people in the fellowship, you know, you point out, you know, Bernie, that's chicken bone, and you're really crushing a lot of people trying to get chicken bones. That's Bernie and the chicken bone. It's a good story. And under the. <laughs> well, you know, I encourage guys that work through the steps with me when they get through 12, you know, go do the same thing. Go work the steps with people because you'll get as much out of working the steps with people the first time as you get actually by going through them. There's a different dynamic that goes on. I guarantee that that's absolutely how it works. Get your own stories. Get your own recovery stories. 
Because mine work for me because they happen with me. But they'll work much better for you if you get your own. Now, on the 10th step, personally, I was going to school, I think I, I said, uh, when my life was getting ready to implode uh, with 21 units. And, uh, and one of the classes that I had, I was, this was at uh, Sacramento City College, and uh, this was before I got into uh, Sac State, and there was a journalism class that I had right beside the bookstore. And it was at, it got out at like 10 to noon or something. And then I had a class that started at noon. There was a four hour lab in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I time to write. You know, I get over to the cafeteria and, uh, and grab a couple of snack food items, uh, maybe a sandwich if I didn't bring my lunch and go to this lab and all of the time that you know there's a lot of dark room work and one thing or another so that a lot of times there was time involved so that you'd go out and you know you had five or ten minutes to get something to eat or something and then go back in the dark room and then you do your printing and developing and all that so this was before they had ATM machines and, uh, and they had a policy that when I bought my ASB card my student card they said that it, it was my understanding that you know you could cash a check at the bookstore and uh, and get cash and uh, so all semester you know if I hadn't gotten cash if I was short on cash I'd stop in the bush, bookstore and just write a check for cash ten bucks or something and I'd go over to the cafeteria and grab something and go to go to the lab well it was right toward the end of the semester and I go in there and there's kind of a long line uh, at the cashier and I think, okay, you know, I'm going to be late for class. I don't like this. And so immediately I'm impatient and resentful at all these students in front of me. And uh, so I get up there and I've already pre-written the check. It's already written out and everything. I'm not wasting anybody's time. You know, and I got my ASB card there and I hand it to this guy. And this guy says, uh, the policy here at the, at the bookstore is that it's $10 over the amount of purchase you need to buy something. No. <laughs> That's not the policy. The policy is, you know, I've been doing this all semester. And he goes, well, they've been doing it wrong. It's $10 over the amount of purchase. Why don't you buy a pack of gum? Well, now it's the principle of <laughs> And I said, and I knew that this guy was not going to help me at this point. And, uh, he, I mean, you know, he had his heels dug in. And I said, why don't you call your boss and check that? And so he picked up the phone and he dialed this number and he said, there's a student here that has an ASB card and he has a check for $10. And I told him that the policy is $10 over the amount of purchase. And I just want to check and make sure that that's right. Thank you. And he goes, it's ten dollars over the amount of purchase. And I knew that that guy was lying. To me. Yeah, I was pretty sure that that guy was lying to me, and that his supervisor told him, you know, that it's go ahead and cash the check. Well, I've been in recovery long enough to know that I didn't want to make an amend to that asshole, <laughs> and so. I said, where's your boss's office? 
And he said, it's upstairs over there. And I said, what's your boss's name? And he said, Miss Summer other. And I said, thank you very much. And I was done with him. I was going to go have this boss tear him a new one, you know. And so I went up to the boss and I opened the door and I walked in. And this woman was sitting at the desk and I you know, explained the situation. She said, well, I think that if you look in the student handbook, it will say that you can cash a check at the financial aid office for $10, but here it's you know, $10 over the amount of purchase. And I knew she was wrong. <laughs> but I didn't have my student book with me, because I'd read that, but I was pissed. Now I'm late for class, and I'm going to be hungry. And being in recovery, I know that hungry, angry, lonely, and tall is not my best interest. And therefore, these people are just fooling around with me. And, uh, and I stormed out of her office and I slammed that door so hard. I mean, the, I, want, I expected the glass to break. I didn't want it to break, but it was, as I was slamming it, it was like, ooh, wrong. Thank you, God. <laughs> didn't break. So I went to class and I was hungry and I had this resentment. As soon as I got home at like 4.30, and I went right to my student handbook. And sure enough, there it was. Said that if you purchased an ASB card, you could cash a check for ten dollars at the financial aid office and ten dollars over the amount of purchase at the bookstore. Shit. <laughs> so now I own amends. I don't owe an amends t to the cashier. I didn't mistreat that person. I did what I thought was right, and he did what he thought. I mean, the, we were plain there. But I owed an amend to that lady for my anger. Okay. So the next time I'm on campus, I go into the bookstore and go up to this lady's office. She's not there. So I say, where's Miss So-and-so? And they said, well, she's in the warehouse checking inventory. Okay, so I find out where the warehouse is. I go into this warehouse and I'm in, you know, it's got all these floor-to-ceiling racks and it's kind of dark, concrete floors not particularly well lit and so I'm walking down these aisles kind of like at the library these, these long aisles I'm walking down and I'm not seeing anybody and, uh, and finally toward the toward the back and now there's nobody in this place it's just me and maybe this woman and I haven't seen anybody else and I turn the corner and I see her down the end of the the, the aisle and so I'm walking down there and she can hear me, my footsteps and stuff. And she's not paying attention. She's got this clipboard and she's like, you know, working like this. And I get, you know, like maybe from me to John away. And she looks up and immediately goes into fear. I mean, she recognizes me and she knows what I was like the last time I was in her office. And then there he is. And my first response was to put my hands up. I said, I want to apologize for my bad behavior yesterday. And it was like her whole demeanor changed. She, she says, oh, that's okay. You don't have to do that. I said, it, it, it might be okay for you, but it's not okay for me. You know, I was out of line. And my anger was inappropriate. And I was hungry and got angry. And I treated you in a way that you did not deserve. And I'm not going to 
treat you like that again, I ask for your forgiveness. No, that's not a problem. No problem. Well, I've never seen that woman before that incident at the bookstore. But the next two weeks, that woman was everywhere on campus. I mean, I saw her in the halls. I saw her in the cafeteria. I mean, I saw her everywhere. And every time I saw her, we kind of look at each other and you know acknowledge one another and, and nod at her. And we have this kind of like a special relationship. There's something had happened between us, and we were glad to see each other. That you know there was this connection that we had. Why do a test? I don't know. My life's a lot better for it. You know, that's the kind of experience that I have with and when we were wrong, promptly admitted. And I think that those are the values and the benefits that we get from step ten. Um unique in the story demonstrates that is that coming to the realization that the, the promise that this promise return to sanity doesn't really come to fruition according to this in step 10 I fully understand now that, that as it says at the bottom of 89 that the, that the real reason for that is the um, um, Accurate self appraisal, and but but and that's been one of my biggest barriers, though, is the is uh, working with the sponsor and working with others, and because my addict still wants to somehow discount whoever I'm working with and um, and try and believe my own self, you know, and knowing that. that even even when I do get to the point of working all the steps, I'm going to have moments of insanity. I'm going to have moments when I'm not all there. Um, and so that my question is is this: is that um, getting to the point where you know, where I know that I'm. Um, it's, I, it's, I, it seems like my answer is obvious, but I guess I'll just know when I know that you know that, um, I'm doing the next right thing. You know, I'm doing like making the amends, like doing the daily uh, The answers will come by their fruits. By their fruits, you will know. You know, we take the actions and we get the results. If they're good results, let's repeat the action. If they're not good results, let's change the actions. Right, so it's just a trial and error. Right. You may need shit and try it loud in the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> if that's working for you, bro. <laughs> I, I can tell you <laughs> I think this relates to the 10th step for me. It's not a story about making an amends, but about how in the process of making an amends, take an inventory, how to change. I shared just briefly my 
immense in my sister and how poorly I treated her and my other sister and my younger brother. I was doing and was big time raging when we all lived together. And I was often you know, baby slapped down and would just fly off the handle of everything and scream and slam doors and pound the walls and grab and shake and all this stuff. So, you know, that was, that was a big part of my meds, all three of them. And I was training the lady at work. I work in a factory, I work on the line, production line, and uh, trained her how to do the job I was doing, she was new. And uh, I just noticed, she's just picking this up really quick. I don't know picking this job up that quick. I mean, like in a day, she had it. And I was just like, man. I told her, I said, I'm just impressed. I mean, you're doing like a, great, a great job. I mean, I've, I've trained you know, several people, and I remember when I started, you know, I, I did not think it was quick, and she said, well, you don't make me nervous. I said, yeah. And you, don't, you don't make me nervous, so it's her. It's her coming. Wow. You know, she said, you're very patient with me. And, uh, and I've had two or three people say that same thing. People I've trained, one woman actually asked her supervisor if she could have a new guy work with me because I wasn't, as she told me, bossy or demanding. And then I explained things clearly. And I, I can only, like as uh, earlier, attribute that to the grace of God in this program. So I'm 180 degrees different in that area and in other areas. Thanks for, Thanks for sharing. Somebody put a note in the Ask It basket that says alcoholism is said to be a twofold disease, sexaholism is a threefold problem. What's your take on that? I'm not sure Adam and I understand the question. Can you elaborate on this a little bit more? If you like to. Because, uh, I mean, the book says that alcoholism is like a football, you know, it's a mental and physical, and uh, I guess the, the white book says it's spiritual, like a spiritual disease. And, I, you know, it's, I guess that was my, what is there a difference, you know? Because I guess the big book talks about it like a spiritual solution. Uh, are you referring to the uh, in uh, the AA Big Book when it talks about a twofold disease being the physical craving and the mental obsession? Yeah. And I would say that the essay would agree with that and also incorporates the spiritual solution that I don't know what you think Bill well it says but it says it says uh, we have been not only mentally and physically but we've been spiritually sick as well that's from the big book and the spiritual malady is overcoming straight down mentally and physically so they they're really not a dichotomy it's just that in the big book they treat you as a drunk trap They'll get you by the physical and mental by your evidence, and then they offer you that the only solution is to the spiritual mouth. That makes sense. 
You bought that, John? Dimitri? It's on page 64 in the big book. What he just said. Thank you, Bill. Anything else as we close? Oh, the center one is much better. Okay. Go ahead. The first time people say that they are recovered alcoholics, and uh, I don't like three other recovered alcoholics, I have to go to meeting with recovering alcoholics. And, uh, and, and uh, I guess the question would be, if sanity has returned, his obsession has been expelled, why would it not be a recovered alcoholic who is not here but has to take a free contingent on the maintenance of spiritual condition. Just a thought. I think that, that semantics, though, are somewhat important because when it was first put forward to me and I realized that this is not something where I will always be struggling, that I can recover from this the way the first hundred did, and then, then uh, I can be a recovered alcoholic or I can be a recovered sex And somewhere around, I think, I'm not sure when it happened. I, I didn't, I wasn't confronted with this last so like 10 years. And somebody asked me that question. If, if you've done what they've done and they are recovered, why aren't you? And, and I had I talked over with my sponsor and decided some of this I'm recovered alcoholic. I'm recovered sex and recovered from what is my question and in the forward to the first edition the first sentence which is on X111 page 13 Roman numeral 13 we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from what? from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body meaning that it's no longer hopeless that there is hope Who's Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works. It works. It works. It works. We can leave our I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. 
Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.